East Meds West. This podcast explores Eastern and Western philosophies of medicine and life, where they collide or collaborate. Introducing your host, Dr. Carolyn Edelston. So, welcome to East Meds West podcast episode nine today, Carl. And a little bit of a different format because it's just you and me. Cozy. Yeah. Very cozy. Yeah. And nice to be in person. It is cozy because it's freezing outside, but a beautiful winter day. But we're all quite tucked up and warm in here, aren't we? Yeah, I've got my. Um, I've been out walking dogs today, and I can tell you, um, that even at lunchtime, there's still thick frost mm. all over the grass. Mm. Hence, I'm wearing a very, uh, very thick cardigan. So I've called today's episode "Physician, Heal Thyself." Have you heard that saying? I've only heard you say it. I can imagine, um, are you basically saying that we all need to be our own doctor? That feels like what you're saying. Yeah, I think when you look at the background of that that saying, it's more of a, before you give out advice to anybody else, check that you're actually looking out for yourself and sort yourself out first, which I think is nice as a practitioner, nice advice for anybody who's dealing with people at close hand to remember the power of your words and that to, to bring them in inwardly, look inwardly as well. So I, in the context of this podcast, what I'd love to explore with you, and we'll talk about the reason why soon, is how do we become our own physician? How do we take responsibility for our health, for our lives, for the way we show up in the world, rather than expecting somebody else to always be guiding us and advising us. Mm. It, it also occurs to me that there's no better time to be talking about this sort of topic because the, the NHS is, is uh, at the time we're recording, under great stress and strain. Um, you know, there's uh, industrial action going on. Uh, I, I know GPs who just wouldn't be doing their job you know, had they had their time again, they wouldn't go into that profession, which is is a is a terribly sad thing. So, yeah, understand how you can be a healthier person, a person with um, a strong sense of well being. I mean, yeah, no better time to be talking about it. Absolutely. So maybe we go back a little bit or go back a few years and remember how we met and maybe how that meeting influenced your journey to becoming, I can confidently say, your own physician, actually. So, okay, before we do that, why are you so confidently saying that about me now? Because I've probably been, what would be the word, guiding, advising you, treating you, supporting you over a number of years. I was thinking how many years? Is it probably 10? Probably is 10, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. It may, actually, I think it's longer than 10 because what are we now? It's 2022. Yeah. And I, it was before 2012 I saw you for the first wow. time, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I've seen a transformation in you. Um, and... Uh, and at every level, mentally, emotionally, physically, um, in a good way. So I'm I'm intrigued, really, because when we started to explore this story, I thought it was in, an important chapter to share with people. Uh, I can remember 
interviewing you. So I used to work in the radio business, and in the radio business where we're making radio programs, you're always looking out for uh, in- interesting stories and, by definition, interesting people to tell their interesting stories. And so I remember um, either I, I somebody told me about you or I, I found you via your website thinking, okay, um, uh, acupuncture was was the kind of the banner, the headline. But then behind acupuncture, I quickly discovered that you had also, um, you, well, you were at the time still practicing as a GP. Mm-hmm. So you had this duality and that that immediately interested me. So th- this interview that I was to do with you then was no longer just about one topic of acupuncture or, you know, traditional Chinese medicine. It was going to be something that was much more than that. So that that was the reason I would be coming to speak to you rather than say any other acupuncture practitioner uh, in in Leicestershire uh, at the time. So I think uh, I invited you into the studio and we had we had a conversation about. But it was really an interview about you and uh, uh, setting up the business that mm. you, you you now run. Um, so it was kind of a profile interview, wasn't it? Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, for me it was probably the first time I'd stepped up and talked about this bridge between these two worlds. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, back at that time, so what was my story back then was uh, I, I thought, you know, I just don't feel as strong and healthy as I and here's the key phrase, as I think I ought to be mm. as a man at that age, at my stage in my life. So I think I was feeling these kind of uh, weaknesses, um, some discomfort that I was unhappy with. And maybe, uh, you know, in conversations that I'd had with my own GP, maybe I thought that they might be missing something and there was maybe something wrong with me. So I was kind of, I was, I think I was on a quest really mm. to think, okay, it, uh, there's an unhappiness. There's, I'm unsettled if you like, and I need to, I need to take some action. And after we'd done the radio interview as a totally separate thing, I think I got in touch with, with you to say, can I come and see you professionally mm. uh, to talk about these things. Now, I think that that probably started out as me uh, thinking, you know, let's try acupuncture. Let's yes. see if acupuncture is for me, whether it has any perceived benefits uh, for me. But I was also aware that in doing so, I would be able to talk to you uh, from the whole sort of Western medical perspective. Yes. Uh, just sort of I'd be able to run things past you. So again, it comes back to that that duality, if you like. Here I was having an opportunity to try something new, mm. the acupuncture stuff, but also the ability to have a a conversation that that I was used to, like going to see a, a GP. Mm. In fact, well, you you were still doing that at the time, mm. and um, well, you know, yes, of course it worked because the point is that uh, I think for me, my uh, a bit like having a car that you take to a garage and you have an MOT, I really see our professional relationship as exactly that. I'm keeping myself healthy and fit and on the right sort of path, if you like, by continuing to have these conversations and checks. So I don't come and see you every week. I don't come and see you every month. Mm. I think we, I see you when I feel I need to. Mm. Um 
But if I wind the clock back to those first few sessions that we had, I can remember quite quickly it resulted in me saying, you know what, this this bit down here, uh, you know, just above my leg in my groin area, that's really not, it's not great. And uh, will you have a poke and a prod? And we did all that. And it, it ended up with me basically uh, realising actually I needed a hernia operation. Mm. Um, and what was lovely is I didn't really need to go and see my own uh, doctor to do this because... I ended up talking to a consultant initially with a conversation with you, and then I think I had a letter from you, and I found a, a guy that could do the operation for me, and that was actually um, privately done, mm. and that was back in December 2012. So mm. at the time of recording this, that's a whole 10 years ago. Wow, yeah. So um, I'm interested, first of all, what was the difference between going to see your GP Apart from the time, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? They only have 10, 15 minutes. But what else? Was it the conversation? Was it the sensation of the needles? Was there a whole different experience? Because uh, It's a really good question. I'm glad you've asked that question because, do you know what? And I know it feels like you want to kind of almost put the time thing to one side. But you know what? The time thing is really important. Mm. And I think, I think for people like me who... When you, if you're going to, let's compare these things. Okay, you go and see um, a GP and you've got your 10 minutes, your five to 10 minutes. And I think I think for me, that's just not enough mm. because I know that I need to, uh, when I go and see a GP, it's got to be like the first thing, you get it out there. Don't beat around the bush and wait for nine minutes into the conversation. Yeah. You're there to talk about the the thing that's really at the forefront of your mind. Um, but for me, there there may be other things that I want to factor into why I'm not feeling great. So I think there were, there were many times when I have been to see a doctor at, at a surgery and I have felt hurried and came away actually with being told there's nothing to worry about. But actually, at the back of my mind, I still thought there was. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that is part of it because having a much longer than your 10 minutes, having 40, 50 minutes – where you can cover a lot of ground um, is beneficial, not just for me, but I think for the person who's doing the analysis and the diagnosis, for want of another word, you can be more probing mm. and check things out as well. Mm. So, okay, couple that with you're lying in a, on a, in a horizontal position on a very comfortable uh, um, couch bed thing, you know, raised up, and you are then engaging in acupuncture. Now, the point about this to me is, I, I'm putting my faith in you as an acupuncture therapist that you're doing what you're doing to the points on my body, given the conversation that mm. we've had. I'm telling you, okay, um, digestion not great at the moment, or I've got pain here, um, or I'm not sleeping well. And you do things with acupuncture that specifically target the stuff that we've just talked about. Mm. And I know that as, as the client, as the patient, and I am thinking, when I leave you, I've done something really positive to help me today. Mm. That's not a tablet. Uh, it's not a wait six weeks to go and see an expert somewhere else. There's an immediacy to those little pins going in. Um, and and you, I, you come away from that session thinking, I've done something really positive. I've, I've been left in the room for a few minutes at the end. You know, the, the, the pins are in there. And just the very act of thinking about my body and how do I feel and this has happened to me and Carolyn's listened to the story today and she said some things that I need to think about she said some things that are reassuring I, I've not once come away and 
and felt worse, I've always, even if it's been something that I need to um, maybe just keep an eye on, mm. I've always felt better. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's a different dynamic. So so from my point of view, I've got the luxury of time to actually get the story. I always felt as a GP, you had to be a detective in five minutes, gather huge pressure. So you're not able, I felt I got to a certain level quickly over the years, you get really good at assimilating lots of information. Um, but it was only at a very surface level. You cannot get to another level in that time. Even if you see people repeatedly, you can't. I, I, you know, I challenge anybody. So the beauty of the time is that I have, we have time to settle together because it, you know, this is a big, a big relationship of trust. And we're both walking together. That's how I view this journey is we walk together. I don't do it for you. I walk with you. We share, you know, I listen and and understand the story of who you are. Because when that, when you start to trust the body relaxes, as you say, you're in a position of relaxation, you're warm, you're comfortable. There's some physical contact, which is also not happening as much as GPs. They're not examining as much. So I'm always taking your pulses, checking the pulses, you know, that involves physical touch that's that's relevant you know relevant Uh, hugely important so the action of you've just been actually doing the actions now on your own wrist see i didn't even realize and again i I feel terribly naive in saying i didn't realize there were pulses Mm. i thought you had a pulse and the very fact that um you know during the session you, you will talk about um due to what the liver pulse and, and yes. yeah kidneys and all the rest of it um i was absolutely fascinated by that the fact that someone can read different parts of my body from feeling this thing in my wrist or indeed other areas where you can pick up pick up the pulse so yes yeah, so um it it is hugely important that uh for me and i i think as well as i i'm even thinking as i as i sense my anxieties with uh, with health, I can actually feel sometimes my body sort of tightening, if you like. Yes. With with that worry. Yes. Talking about something that that, that is worrying, I was I then became more self aware. So I think one of the big benefits from the conversation, the extended conversation you will have with someone who's giving you time, is I could feel myself relaxing more. Yeah. And that's not something that happens easily in five to ten minutes. Not for me, at any rate. And so I think I got in the past. I've got myself into terribly anxious situations where I could almost feel, you know, my my stomach was was knotted and my shoulders were were hunched up, you know. And and I, but I wasn't aware of. You that. didn't notice. That's didn't the difference. So there's this there's this journey that happens during this kind of consultation over time, where. I can reflect back to you. Have you noticed how when you came in what you felt like and what you feel like now? Or as we talk about things, when you start to talk about the anxiety, you'll feel a tightening again, which you've just expressed now, which you didn't even know about. So it's this really gentle um, bringing people down through certain levels So if you have the awareness that certain things trigger tightness, that isn't healthy for the body. That's sending quite clear messages of stress to the body. So once you have that awareness, just the awareness is enough to go, oh, I'm doing it again. I'm tightening. Yeah. Or, and, and to have that ability to then soothe and reassure yourself however you do that. So there are all these different levels. So when you first came in, you had a lot of 
health anxiety about or about the worst case scenario of every symptom you had. You would catastrophize. Yes, absolutely. Um, and yeah. and the beauty of me having having medical knowledge is that I would I can put my GP hat on, even though I'm not working in the NHS now, and and safely say either yes, you do need to go to your GP, and I frequently do that, or you're okay. You know, you're doing really well. And just coming back to your headline and your uh, title for this podcast about, you know, being your own physician, uh, be there, the, sorry, say the title that you chose. Physician, yeah. heal thyself. Physician, heal thyself. So just to go back to the the title that you've chosen for this podcast, Physician, Heal Thyself, what occurs to me there for me is that um, as the years have gone on, I've learned how to recognise how I can manage things myself without without calling my GP, without coming to see you, by um, by trying things and, and by trying some of the things that you have suggested uh, to me. So for, let me give an example. So um, a number of years back, I had a terrible, terrible uh, issue where um, I basically had awful, awful diarrhea, and there was there was blood in the diarrhea. So, not that, you know, please, I hope you're not listening <laughs> eating, eating your breakfast. breakfast or dinner. <laughs> but look, you know, th- th- these sorts of things can happen. And I was really, really very ill. And um, cut a long story short, went, went through the kind of traditional way of having this investigated and came out the other end of that, you know, with having been to see my GP, we cannot find anything wrong with you. Now, this is the worst thing to be said to me yes. because I'm thinking, well, what do you mean there's nothing wrong with me? How can that happen to me and you not be able to find something? And, and it was explained, well, sometimes, you know, there are very aggressive things that can pass through your body um, and they they can make you bleed. And by the time we come to look at you, we cannot detect them. So this was the explanation that was given to me. Okay, I have to accept that. So I then have to accept that, okay, my digestive system is not perhaps quite as robust as I one like to think it is, and perhaps it used to be 10, 20 years ago. So I then tried some of the, um, the little probiotic uh, tablets mm. that, that you, I think you've tried and you've recommended, and I thought, well, you know what? Yes, of course I'll, I'll try this. So let's, let's see how those affect me and help me or not. And, yeah, they, they did massively help um, to the point where I think I had to take – um, fewer of the um, the acid inhibitor mm. tablets. Mm. So that and that was the thing that really convinced me that well, I'm sorry, but there must be something in the probiotics because I'm I'm taking those. My gut was feeling much better. My rhythms were feeling much better, and I just felt I felt better in my in myself in a kind of holistic way. So if you think about that just logically, because I think often. People can, it's very hard to discern, well, what should I be taking? Probiotics, mm. vitamin supplements, there's this array of stuff around and you. And it's all thrown at you in advertising it is. everywhere. Yeah. So I like to be um, fairly, this this middle road of we can still be logical about a lot of things. And I think my explanation to you and to many people with this kind of episode where you go to the GP, the tests are all negative, but you're unwell. The gut is not happy, seriously unhappy with blood and mucus and loose bowels, is that for whatever reason, and we may never know that reason, 
you know, something has encouraged the gut to just let go. It's inflamed. It's unhappy. So it's stripped all the good bacteria out. You've lost it all. It's gone down the pan, literally. So why wouldn't you gently build up that natural environment of good bacteria that we know the gut biome is so important? Um, So really, I was sort of uh, stepping back and looking quite objectively And that wasn't acupuncture, interestingly, although I did obviously acupuncture points to support the gut, reduce inflammation, help heat, you know, clear heat in the system, mucus, that sort of thing. So there's this this other thing about being our own physician is take a step back, look at what's what's really happening in a very basic way without all the medical terminology that get us hooked into diagnosis and then support the body. What is it needing? So it made sense to me to, to sort of add in the gut biome, get get everything, reset you. And I think acupuncture is often a reset. It's yes. a rewiring for the body. And the other thing I did as well, and again, you need time to be able to do this, which again is something we've already acknowledged you, you often don't get with uh, going through the primary um, systems, is I, I really started thinking about my diet mm. and my alcohol intake. Mm. And, you know, I, I remember once being told by... Um, a consultant. Oh no, no, yeah, alcohol absolutely, absolutely has nothing to do with, uh, with, with, with your bowels and your digestive system. That's not. Uh, I accept that. It's not my experience mm. because I can tell you now that if I drink less, certainly if I drink less beer, mm. um, and I avoid spicy food and processed foods, and I stick to what is generally a more wholesome diet, um, you know, I. Your gut's happier. Yes, absolutely. I know that sounds really basic, but you know we are we go back to what we're surrounded by today. It's so much so easy, isn't it, just to kind of eat the wrong food? It's cheaper too. It's cheaper to eat the wrong foods. So I really started to take when all this happened, and I'd had these conversations with you. This whole you know, be thy own physician. I took ownership. Mm. I thought no one else, no one's going to wave a magic wand. No No one's going to throw a bottle of tablets at me and say there's something wrong with you. Take those, you'll be better Mm. in a couple of weeks. I had to do something. And I realised that if I didn't, I didn't think this problem wasn't going to go away. No. So the only person who could own it was you. me. But I was surrounding myself with, uh, not surrounding myself, but I was approaching people who I thought could help. So I was reading some books. Mm-hmm. I think you might have even mentioned one of them to me. I was trying things that you had recommended. I was keeping a food diary. And I actually was learning about the things that no longer agreed with me mm. as a human being. And, and it them. changes. So as we have different chapters in life, this is the the one thing that I love about Chinese medicine is it absolutely honours the individual. And we have to reassess. We need to check in again at different decades of life <clears throat> because you're right, we change. My, my gut behavior has changed dramatically. My whole body is changing as I age and, and, you know, go through these transitions. Yours will be doing the same. So to have this blanket advice that we're thrown at us, you know, everybody needs to eat this, alcohol will affect or won't affect. It's totally individual. So I would have been looking at your picture as well as an individual. Are you a hot person, a cold person? Do you tend to phlegm? Do you have a constitutional weakness that you arrived in this world with? All those things. Now, that's a really interesting point. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, remind me to talk about an expectation uh, of bodies being perfect and mm-hmm. just being repaired back to how they were before, because I think that's another important thing for me. But the other thing about that, that you know, your, your, the context of who you are and where you come from, 
having some impact on your sense of health and well-being. So basically, you know, my brother died a, a, a while ago now. He was only 47, younger than I am now. And um, my mum had all kinds of health problems through her life. She's no longer with us. But, you know, and again, I used to think about my mum's health and the uh, the things that she was living with. My dad's, you know, actually not too bad at all. But I would think about uh, my brother and my mum particularly and think, well, you know, what does that say about me and how healthy I might be? Might I pass away through the same thing that took my brother? Now, nobody will, you can't go to the doctor and ask that question. They won't be able to give you no. an answer. You can have some uh, diagnostics and indeed that's one of the things that happened. But learning actually to accept that uh, fragility mm. is part of being human. Yes, is is a you know okay that's a scary thought and that can fuel that can fuel health anxiety, but being realistic about the body in which you're living is also I've learned about that. A that's great deal. a really important yeah. point. It, you know, some people we talked about um, destiny, didn't we, a while ago? And some people would say that you have a a defined time on this earth. We don't. We'll, none of us know that. But I do think you come in with a package, and some people have a package that's so robust and full they can eat what they like, drink what they like, smoke what they like, think what they like, and they they just get through it. Other people have this very delicate tissue paper package that needs a lot of care and holding and and is much more sensitive and vulnerable. And they're equally as important in this world and have as much to give and are a little bit quieter and softer and have to be careful. So I think it's, you know, why wouldn't you want to know yourself that intimately that you know what package you came with and what you can get away with and keep you know, nurturing that and holding that. Because as we've we've talked about epigenetics before, it doesn't matter what you arrive with, you can make the best of it or the worst of it. That's really all we can do, isn't it? Yeah. Hence this responsibility. You know, why wouldn't we want to look at every aspect of our life in a very gentle way, not a hard whipping, you know, look at that, you're no good at that. But, you know, just fine tuning all the time, all the areas, movement, mental health, thinking, sleeping, drinking, eating, all the obvious things that we do have a little bit of control over. I don't want people to think, you know, when they're listening to this, that, you know, I'm the kind of, I sort of send you text messages every day, you know, asking you questions because, you know, I, I, I don't do that. I you wouldn't know, answer comp- them, Carl, you, you if you did that. You. You're far too busy. <laughs> You're far too busy. Um, but I don't do that. You know, we, we meet every every few months, uh, aside from what we do with this podcast. And, and I really enjoy those, those kind of check-in sessions that we have mm. where I can talk to you about things that may or may not be uh, concerning me. Sometimes there's actually, we've had sessions where there's nothing that's particularly concerning yeah. me and I'm just enjoying the acupuncture yeah. and a time to time to talk to you. But I think how I could sum up my journey, if you like, that I've had uh, th- through knowing you is that I was this person who absolutely was a bundle of health anxiety mm. and I would catastrophize about anything I, I, I felt wasn't right. And that could be, you know, a pain in my neck, uh, discomfort in my, uh, my stomach or my groin or some irritation with my skin. Yeah. You know, each of these things was a massive problem that yeah. had to be dealt with and it had to be dealt with as quickly as possible because if I didn't deal with it as quickly as possible, it, 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 it might kill me. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is yeah, what yeah, my that's, life was that's... like back then. And and you're um, uptight with it. Oh, so uptight. Yeah. In fact, just talking about it, I can kind of feel myself. You can remember. You know, how how I, I was back then. And where I am now is, 
yes, there are things that, that still worry me. Some things worry me a great deal. But I have developed a range of strategies, if you like, where uh, this is how I can deal with things. And now I'm much better in uh, – I will have like a bodily sensation or a pain – and I'll think to myself, oh, you know, what, what's that? You know, do, do I need to worry about that? Can I deal with that? Can I see what it's like in a couple of weeks' time? I do use the two-week rule quite a lot. Yeah. If something I feel or see is uh, as bad or even worse, two weeks from when I first clock it, yes. I'll just go, okay, let's have another little think about Check this. Check in, yeah. And when I say have a little think about it, I actually don't mean a little think. I have a big think about yeah. it. But I think about it r- rationally. And I sort of follow all these different paths from where my initial thought will take me. And from that calm thought process, I then work out, do I need to leave it another couple of weeks or should I consult somebody who's more of an expert than me? And that's actually been really quite logical and has worked brilliantly. I think that's sensible. I think the only thing I'd say is if you had, you know, there are some things which you have to act on. If you had chest pain, if you had shortness of breath, some pretty severe things, most people would act on that. So we're not saying, are we sit with everything for two weeks, but most niggles, uh, changes, like you say, be curious, step away from it, be curious, do a little bit of Googling, but on the NHS website, not every Tom, Dick and Harry's opinion on oh, a don't source road. Don't get a rabbit hole of click, That's click, click, right. click, because you, know, you will find somebody on the internet who's written up their story. That's you, right. You know, yes, they, they've become very unwell for, yeah. for some reason. So, yes, I think stick to yeah. a kind of almost a trusted source. And then watch the other thing I'd say that you've started to do that you may not even realise is trust your intuition much more. So I've said to you before, because I've observed so many people in illness and health, whatever that means, I mean, we can talk about that too, what is health? Most people who have something serious had an intuitive belief that something was wrong with them. They're the ones that have gone back and back and back to the GP and go, I just know something's wrong. Um, the other strong intuition that I hear is parents' intuition with their children when something's wrong. They just know. And I've learned that as a GP to trust that. If you hear a mother or father say, there's something wrong, you listen. So part of this journey is also me in- encouraging you to to listen to the whispers and those gut feelings when you know there's something amiss. Mm. And just coming back to the the thing I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think years ago, um, I had this expectation that, take the hernia operation as an example, that I'd I'd go in for a repair job and uh, my hernia would be repaired and I'd be literally, absolutely, I'd come out of the hospital and yes, I'd, you know, have some recovery process, but then everything would be perfect again afterwards. No, that's mm. absolutely uh, not the case. And I think, you know, if, if you meet people who've had um, hernia operations, uh, th- you know, they will tell you, well, you know what? No, it doesn't really feel the same afterwards. Um, yeah, but no one really tells you that. Bef- well, certainly the, the surgeon that I met, uh, you, I think he actually used a phrase, oh, you'll be a writer's brain in a few days' time. You'll be a bit sore. You know, li- literally, sounded. I think he actually went into kind of sergeant major mode yeah. from, from the army and... Uh, yeah, you know, come on, off I you kinda, go. I almost expected him to say, oh, you know, no, man up. Uh, it's like, oh, no, no, please don't say any of those things to me because that's the kind of wrong language. Yes. But learning to accept that, you know, as you get older, yeah, you might need an operation. 
but your body won't feel exactly the same as it no, did. No, well, it's been invaded exactly. and cut. Exactly. And so we forget, don't we? We have we have huge expectations as well of the NHS of what it what it can and can't do. Yeah. So, and I think the other thing that that brings us to is is you know what is health. Mm. Health is not the absence of illness. That sounds a bit crazy. Um, it's not, I don't think there's this, the human condition is not a perfect machine. There will always be, if you check in little areas that make you aware, you could call it a pain. People's perception of pain is so individual as well. So pain is just, is made up by the brain. You know, it's not a, a thing. It, it's a message that we interpret in our brain in different ways. Some people's severe pain is other people's a little niggle. So it's it's remembering that um, and understanding that the body is always giving us information to really notice it and check in and have a conversation with ourselves, not just sort of ignore it until you fall over in a heap. Mm. So let me just throw one thought at you then as we perhaps come to the the end of this conversation. Um, isn't there a cliche that says doctors make the worst patients? Yes. So why, <laughs> why, is, why does that cliche exist and is there any truth in it? Is it because, I, I beg you to consider, doctors aren't great at doing what we've just talked about, knowing themselves really well? I think there's several things. So um, I've always... I've always been quite proud that I'm quite good at going into patient mode. So if I've, and I have been in hospital and I have had illnesses and actually I go into a different mode, which involves trust and handing over. I have to say, you know, recent, more recently, you have to have your wits about you when you're ill. That's a sad thing to say, but you do. Um, but I think the reason why doctors are dreadful patients, one is they can't stop being a doctor so if you go in as a patient trying to be a doctor, it'll annoy the hell out of everybody around you and all the physicians trying to take care of you. There's a little bit of, um, you know, letting go and vulnerability as well. So it's not at work in that position. It's it's challenging to be in that position and still have vulnerability. I, I think it's important to have vulnerability because it, it reminds us to be human and understand we have a human being in front of us. So I think it's it, that's a whole probably another topic of how doctors are and how they behave. Yeah, very interesting. So what do you think somebody should take away from uh, this conversation? I, I, I know what my advice would be. If if you if you're like me, or you were like me, uh, I I was such a bundle of health anxiety. You know what can you do about it? Um, well, don't, don't, certainly don't sit there and panic about it. Um, try and become somebody who thinks more calmly about your body and and your health and how you might improve your your sense of well-being and actually understanding what what well-being is uh, for mm. you mm. what does that mean for you you know are you that person that's going to have to live with groin pain because you had you know a hernia operation 10 years ago or you know is does your digestive system constantly give you jip mm. um and how do you deal with that D yeah because doing nothing actually is is not an answer because you'll just because the mental anxiety will make you ill. I think that's the point. It, it? does. It's it's two-way. The, the physicality, the physical symptoms make you anxious, can. 
and the anxiety gives you physical symptoms. So it's the chicken and egg thing. I think what I would say is you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. It can feel very lonely. If you're in an irrational anxiety state, it's very difficult to get yourself out of that without the support of somebody holding a steady space and actually beginning to trust and getting another perspective. So what's difficult about the human condition is when we're in that fight, flight, anxious, achieving, do, go, 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 it's very difficult to be objective about ourselves. And I think that's the beauty of of the healing profession. If you can find somewhere where you feel like there's some healing and some support and some uh, nurture is that we settle and then we have somebody else looking in and giving us a much more rational a grounded explanation as to what's going on and it quietens everything and that's when the healing starts to happen. So I would say, you know, word of mouth, I always use word of mouth um, recommendations. It's very difficult to know who to go to otherwise. Um, And to, yeah, be curious about yourself, get to know yourself, have the best relationship with yourself before anybody else in your life. The last thoughts I have about this, um, where I'm in a situation where I'm on my own, uh, for, for example, if, I, if I'm if uh, i going to bed, I can't sleep because I'm, I'm my mind's thinking about something. I do find just, uh, I mean, I guess you, you do call it, it's meditation, but you're listening to your breathing and you're using the, the very basic uh, in and out of breaths mm-hmm. in your body to to calm yourself yeah. and to bring thoughts, uh, to slow thoughts down, yeah. actually. Yeah. And I, I must admit, I find, I know, I know it sounds very basic. And if you're listening to this, but you have never tried it, it, it does sound almost too basic to work, but it is basic and it does work. It's it certainly powerful. works for me. And there's, there's science behind it. So, you know, slow, deep abdominal breaths where you're moving your tummy in and out, not shrugging your shoulders releases a chemical that reduces heart rate, reduces blood pressure and gets you out of that fight flight and into the rest zone. So I still do it at night when I wake at night. And I say when, because it's frequent, I do wake at night, but it's not a big deal anymore because there's just this, okay, I'm awake, breathe. And you can't think and breathe and count your breath. You're right. You can, uh, when you feel the oxygen coming in and I can actually feel my body relaxing Mm. when I, when I do that. And, Mm. uh, in itself, I find that a therapy mm-hmm. when you know when there isn't anybody else to talk to. And when you just to again one very final thought, you said find a um, word of mouth, find a health professional, or whatever. Find find somebody. Uh, I, I, yeah, don't make it a member of your family because often I find no. that the people who I'm closest to, friends and family, they're often not the best people. No, friends and family are cannot be objective and want to fix quite often. It's very difficult to create that same um, space of holding and listening, really actively listening when it's your friend or family. It's a very different dynamic. And some people have never experienced that ever in their life. You've been listening to East Meds West. Subscribe to be notified about future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Submit comments and questions via Twitter at Cycles of Change or email chat at drcarolynedelston.com. Hold up. 